Hello and welcome to another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Wednesday, January 10th, and on today's podcast, we are doing our normal full slate breakdown where I'm going to review basically the entire NBA board and go over my best bets. Then we're also going to segue over to the futures market and check in with some of the awards races that I think are worth getting some action on. We're at that time of the year where some narrative starts forming, some odds are worth shopping around for, and we can even have kind of a nerdy strategy talk about cornering a market, creating a futures portfolio, and doing these kind of things like using an arbitrage formula to determine the odds ratio of a stack of bets to then determine the implied probability to understand if our portfolio approach to an awards bet is plus or minus expected value. Nerdy topic, nerdy show, or fun stuff? You be the judge, but I want to get started. I'm the type to get shit done. You the type to observe. March Madness on my speakers, but today's November 23rd. Got something loud in the blunt, yeah. I don't say what I want, yeah. Probably somewhere sunny and tan. Foreign women in the sun, yeah. That's all that I need. All right, before we get started with today's best bets board and going over all of my NBA positions, let me remind everybody of a few housekeeping topics. First, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are listening to. To definitely go sign up for my Substack, fiddlespicks.substack.com. That is the first place and the best place that you could find all of my content, all of my picks, all of my write-ups. If you want to tail along with the bets, and I've been crushing it the last few weeks, I have been crushing it this NBA season, go sign up for fiddlespicks.substack.com. And of course, if you want to watch this podcast as a YouTube video, you could do that on the Fantasy Basketball International YouTube channel, where you could also find the last podcast that I did on Monday called Check Ball, where Austin and I are starting a new Monday series where we're just going to go over a bunch of random NBA topics. Not random, they're going to be pertinent to that week, but this past week we ranked Halliburton, Morant, De'Aaron Fox and Donovan Mitchell, of course, Morant and Halliburton would end up getting hurt. We could actually reflect on those injuries with the odds, which maybe I'll do briefly later in the show. We also talked about which coach is going to be on the hottest seat, checked in with the trade market, made some changes to the in-season tournament. It was an awesome show. So go check out Check Ball. You can find it on the Advantage feed or on the Fantasy Basketball International YouTube channel. Okay. Like I do every week, I'm going to share the FanDuel odds screen right now and bring it up because I think that is the best place to follow along with the show. I I am going to go over all of the games as they are presented on the board. I will tell you where my action is and the numbers that I got. I will be sure to point out if you could still find those at another book if it's not FanDuel. Okay, to start off, And we're going to do this slate breakdown first, and then we'll get into the nerdy future stuff. To start off, the San Antonio Spurs are visiting the Detroit Pistons, where this line opened as a Spurs minus 2.5. Real sharp action came in, swooped those numbers up, and universally went to 3 or 3.5 pretty much at all books. That was the point at which I swooped in and grabbed San Antonio Spurs minus 3 as my first best bet of the day. Now, it was a very small bet, but I'll tell you why I did it. First, the line movement indicators, the splits that were coming in, and those normal things that I track were showing their signals that this is a sharp spot. Second, this is a really good matchup. The reason why it's a sharp spot The reason why we're backing the Spurs as a road favorite is because the matchup really suits the way the style of play of the Spurs and really works against the Detroit Pistons. Now, try and explain it really quick. 
The Spurs have started to play with more of a point guard. Seems like point guard Sohan experiment is dwindling in its minutes. It also seems like Wemby's being featured more at the five. Less of the Zach Collins-Wemby pairing, and we're seeing more control on offense and better movement rotations and rim protection on defense. Like, how many games is Wemby getting five-plus blocks a game right now? It's insane. So now you go against the Detroit Pistons, who have really tried to force the three-point ball the last few weeks, really playing with pace and trying to put up a lot of threes, but they don't shoot with good efficiency. They're nearly dead last in the league in three-point efficiency. So now they go against a team that's surging in its ability to protect the rim and on offense, playing with a lot more control and efficiency. So I trust the coaching, the young talent, and the play style of the Spurs enough to back them as a road favorite. It is gross to be backing the San Antonio Spurs as a road favorite in 2024. This is not the old Spurs that I would have no qualms about doing that with. Those Spurs honestly existed before I started betting. So, uh, Tony, Manu, Tim, I never had the privilege of playing tons of spreads with you guys. I'm sure you covered at extraordinary rates. I would love to see the statistics. Uh, What are they at? Like 15 years of 50-plus straight wins? You guys get the point. Anyways, San Antonio Spurs... Half a unit, small play, because I was playing a road favorite Spurs, and that's gross. But still willing to do it and grabbed it because of the sharp action and the matchup situation that is brewing for Team Popovich. Okay, Kings are going to the Hornets. We are seeing again the Sharps be stubborn. Now, this is very common in this industry, and I I fall into the same thing. If my model's telling me something, I don't have a model. But if I had a model that I really trusted and it was telling me something, if I, I lean on the indicators that I trust so wholeheartedly that if they tell me a good story and I play into that story and then the result falls flat on its face, it's not my fault. I mean, I did what the market told me to do and I play into these indicators and they work at these hit rates and it's fine and that's what it told me to do. So, what, so be it. I'm going to do it again. And that's what we're seeing shape up with the Kings Hornets. We had a position last week, or I didn't have a position, but there was a market for it where Hornets were at Kings and the line closed at 16 and a half as the Kings favorite. And then the Hornets won outright as a dog by like, it could have been even double digits. Uh, And now we come into this game. Kings opened as a six-point favorite, being sharped out to the 6.5 or the 7. You could still find 6.5 a few places if you want it. And they're saying, no, we are going right back to the well, and we're going to take the Kings. So it might be matchup-based, but it also could be, do we have some data that maybe the Hornets present a good matchup for the Kings? So I don't really know the intricacies of the way these two teams may match up against one another. I know that I don't want to play a road seven versus a team that lost outright as a 16.5 point home favorite. I'm scarred from my Mavericks minus 320 money line without Ja and Jaron to play a 270 money line like it is here. So I'm not going to take that approach, even though it's a big spread number and a sharp side. So I'm going to stay away from this game. But I do think it's interesting that the Kings are taking sharp action right away again, despite the results last week. And I also think it's interesting that we're kind of learning what the value of the Kings arena is because Light the Beam has become, and the Beam team and the Beam City has become one of the hardest places to play in, one of the craziest college-like atmospheres in the NBA and you get the same two teams matching up within a week of each other and at one place the line closes at 16.5 and here it's closing at seems to be shaping up to close around 7. 
So is home court advantage for the Kings worth nine and a half points? Is it a reflection of a strong home court advantage and they got it wrong and it probably shouldn't have been 16 and a half. It should have been 14 and a half and then bring it down to seven. So it's a six and a half home court advantage. It is interesting to think about. We could also use those pricing philosophies to talk about some of the injuries. And I want to do this briefly because I don't want to belabor the Halliburton Morant stuff too much anymore. I feel like I've made my point pretty clear on that. Call 12, baby. Uh, But Pacers is a 7.5 point favorite. And the over-under still being at 252 without Halliburton being present for this game. Shows you what the market thinks of his impact. What, What would he be... If it was playing, he'd there'd be a nine and a half point spread. Do you think it'd be double digits? What would the total be? 253 and a half, 254. It would pr- probably be right around there. We've seen him be called out for numerous games. The total drops and then starts ticking right back up again. And those games are still really high scoring and really high pace. Whereas on the flip side, we had the Mavericks as a minus 2.5 home favorite. And then Morant was out and it went to six and a half. And then Jaron was out and it went to eight and a half, nine. And the map, again, scarred by the Mavericks. They freaking lost that game. Unbelievable. How flat the Mavericks came out besides Kyrie. Tuesday night, tonight. I haven't gone to sleep yet. Unbelievable. The Mavs are getting a strongly worded email for me. Actually. The most frequent guest of the pod has a brother that works for the Dallas Mavericks. Maybe I'll call Gibbs' brother tomorrow and say, what the fuck happened? No, he doesn't work on the basketball side. Um, Interesting way to contextualize home court advantage and some of these injuries with the way lines are priced and you can compare them within recent games. Uh, Timberwolves at Celtics. Timberwolves are on the second leg of a back-to-back They just played the Magic, and they just played them unbelievably well. Now, the Celtics are shaping up as the early sharp side. It's probably just because we happen to see that with second leg road road back-to-back, like early market trends one way. Sometimes it just comes right on back. Timberwolves played so well tonight that I don't want to fade them right now. They came out ferocious like I watched that game y'all know I had 10 units on the Timberwolves and played it back with some magic Wolves were up 30 at halftime end of nearly like midway or end of the third quarter was 77 to 47 absolute trouncing shout out to the dominance of Rudy Gobert anyways we don't know if uh Timberwolves are going to come out with that level of aggression. And if so, I don't want to fade them. I also don't want to fade the Celtics at home right now. They're going to lose eventually, I would imagine. Is it today? Tonight? I don't know. The Oklahoma City Thunder are in South Beach to take on the Miami Heat. I grabbed OKC as a 3.5 point favorite. It is now universally at 4.5 or the 5. I am still comfortable at playing playing it at 4.5. I would play it probably three quarters of a unit at that number. If you could get it at this minus 108 that's right here on FanDuel, that would be great. Uh, the Heat continue to be very injured. And I am fine fading this depleted roster against good teams. Now, I know I did it against... Who'd they play? The Clippers recently and they won or the, the Clippers didn't cover? I don't know. But I I faded the depleted Heat recently and they lost and the Heat covered and I lost the bet. I don't care. Didn't we just talk about how stubborn we are in this industry? I know that when Jimmy's out and co, let me pull up the Miami Heat injury report. Caleb Martin, doubtful to play. Kyle Lowry, doubtful to play. 
Jimmy Butler out. And like Lowry's been Lowry's been really good this season. Lowry's on the trade block because of his contract. But don't sleep on the loss of that for the Heat and in a playoff series how trusted he is. Um yeah, I I still think you could play OKC minus 4.5 despite being it as a road favorite. Play it a little smaller if you're playing it at that number. Getting it right before the five is where we want it because we know seven, five, six, and eight are the four most common outcomes. Four is important too. It, it comes right in next would be sixth. So the 3.5 to the four is still relevant. But getting that 4.5 right below the 5, and this whole market is between 4.5 and 5 right now. So getting that threshold is still an important threshold. Uh, I played it for one unit, and I understand giving out the 3.5 is kind of stale right now. I apologize. When I tweeted out where the lines were at points bet, when they had some soft lines before, because I wait to release my picks on Wednesday because I do the podcast. Because, truth be told, I work pretty damn hard on the podcast, so I would hope people listen to the podcast. So if you're listening to this 1620 in right now, I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, But I did tweet out some lines that I thought were going to move. And at that time, Caesars, DraftKings, and uh, I think it was BetMGM, there were three books that all had the 3.5 still on OKC. So I thought I'd be able to wait and still give it out. Now that I've reapproached the book and the lines, it was universally 4.5 or 5. So I, I, one of my biggest pet peeves in this industry is giving out stale numbers. So I'll say I'm comfortable still playing it at the 4.5 because that's my threshold for favorites that I really like. But I would do it for less than a unit. Cool? Sound good? Works for you. Works for me. Let's talk about the Sixers versus the Hawks. And why you can't really ever trust information in this market with the current state of the Philadelphia 76ers. They're a little bit like the Lakers in the sense right now that the Lakers put LeBron as questionable and AD as probable for every injury report. I've heard people call him questionable, to which I respond, a probable is probably going to play as well. And the questionable is probably more probable than anything else. Because they've AD and LeBron have really played damn near every game. Shout out to them. But anyways, you see hesitations in the line movement with the Lakers because of the uncertainty or theoretical uncertainty of their injury report. Recently, with the Philadelphia 76ers, probably since Christmas, with Embiid's status being uncertain nearly every game, out for a few, back in, out for a few again, knee swelling coming up, is it road game, is it related to traveling, do they want to just stay home, how concerned is he about the pace of games that he's missing versus his lead in the MVP race, and Jokic actually taking over the lead because he's missing games, we have that new 65 game rule, all of this has led us to be uncertain as to Embiid's status on a game-to-game basis. We pretty much get the pricing as he's probably going to play the next game recently. That's how it's been coming out. And then we've been getting news that he's out. So then the line moves hard, and then the splits start to show up, and the splits really favor the other team, and it seems like real sharp action if you start looking at betting splits and line movement and things that we really prioritize in our handicapping process, and we say, oh, this is a clear Atlanta Hawks sharp side. But in reality, it's more of a news break with Embiid, a repricing of the line, and probably a handle that shows People pounded that line when they caught the news break early. And now this is being repriced and probably no one's touching it right now. So the splits are going to show Hawks sharp side. Is that really true? No. So we, t- we tell ourselves the story of what's happening. We bring in all of these indicators. So we don't actually know what's happening. I don't. There are times I do. Some of us know this to be true. There are times I do know actual sharp sides where I know a sharp group played 
this line. I'm like er resisting the urge to, to give out examples. Kansas City this weekend. And then you'll see a line move. Other cases, we are putting together a story based on indicators to help us tell us where these sharp groups are hammering. And then we want to find those spots in the market and sit with them at the dinner table. And we're all eating, baby. That's the goal, Kansas City. It was it was the Chiefs. I was talking about the Chiefs, guys. We'll do NFL later this week. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's talk about the... Oh, let's quickly talk about the um, total in this game. This is also one that I gave out via the points bet thing, and it's already moved to from over under... 242 and a half to 245. I saw everywhere else. The reason why I played the over 242 and I played it for one unit, I saw every other book at 244 or 245. And I saw books with 244s in their splits taking large over positions. So I thought, okay, those are going to go to 245. Some of those are now at 245.5. So this is, this one might go. This one, I don't, Really think a Hawks 76ers has super room to, to go. I wish I bet it more having already be three points of movement. Do I wish I had three units on this? Yeah, I do. I only put one unit at the time because I didn't know how much this market would shake out. I thought it would land at the 244. Uh, I would no longer bet this. That's the point I wanted to make. I would no longer bet over 245 because you're that's not tailing me i'm not playing hawk 76ers over 245 or over 244 i'm playing hawk sixers over 242 and a half because there's 245s on the board i'm not playing over 245 because i think the game's going over 245 Remember, I don't play sports opinions, baby. I play numbers. This is a market and a game within a game. Okay, let's talk about the... I'm going to skip Bulls Rockets. Uh, less people are watching that game than the Spurs Pistons. <laughs> let's talk about the Pelicans versus Warriors. We have confirmed news, but we know Chris Paul got the surgery, so rest up, CP. We know Draymond is still going to be out with coaches' decisions. And now, normally, I'd be a little bit saying, okay, he got into full practice. Like, is there a chance that Draymond actually just comes back and plays? Not off this one, guys. We know how I think pretty much everyone, in, in my personal opinion, has taken this one a little bit blown out of water. It's like, it's like a little bit. We're making too big of a deal out of it. But since we are making too big of a deal out of it, I don't think Steve Kerr is just going to say, oh, I knew I said I wasn't going to play him, but now I will. I don't think that's happening. So I think we know that Draymond's going to be out this game. He's listed as out. And I think we have obvious confirmation that CP was going to be out because he just had hand surgery. So those two players have been vitally important to Golden State's success, defensively and rotationally defensively for Draymond rotationally because CP's played a lot of time with the Golden State bench unit and done really well. Without those two, with Clay struggling, with Steph struggling, the Warriors look like a disaster. Now, these line opened a few different places relative to the one. And when you see some places opening it at plus one, plus 1 1.5, other places opening it at minus one, it's not that valuable, right? Because even though it goes plus one, zero, minus one, there's two numbers between it. In a basketball gambling sense, there's only one number because you can't, zero is not an outcome possibility in the NBA. It's a number in real life on the digit scale, but it's not an outcome that we can have in this gambling market. So it's really going from minus one to one. 
so it's only one point of movement. It's also the 11th most common outcome in NBA games. It happens just north of 4% of the time. Now, a little bit more than 4% of the time because it's a game priced at one, right? So this game, Pelicans Warriors priced between the ones has more of a chance of landing between the ones than Raptors Clippers priced at 10.5. That should make sense. You you can weight these spots a little bit additionally beyond their outcome frequency based on where, where they are priced and where they are moving. How you weight those? If you figure it out, come let me know and we can compare numbers. Okay, so I noticed for this game, points bet opened it at plus 1.5. DraftKings opened it at plus 1. I think it was like Caesars that opened it at half a point. And then there was a few of them that opened it at minus 1. And the, the few of them that are, are generally ones that I trust more, like FanDuel, generally trust more. They're generally ahead of movements a little bit. Uh, let's see. Pulling up. Fandle's now plus one. So maybe I was wrong this time. And it was Bet Rivers before, which is at minus one, which is now a plus one. So I was wrong before. I put 1.5 units on this line because I really liked. Oh, wow. And now points bet is at minus one and a half. So they all flipped. Very interesting. This this is a really funky board right now. Oh, never mind. Sorry. I was on, I clicked Warriors. So Pelicans is still minus one at FanDuel. Pelican, sorry. Pelicans is plus 1.5 at points bet. Plus one at DraftKings. Plus 0.5 at BetMGM and minus one at Fandle. Guys, I'm sorry. It is completely like I thought it was originally. I had clicked the Warrior side and was seeing different numbers than I was working off of before. But that was for the other side and it's showing the best numbers at different books. So we also had minus one at Bet Rivers and Fandle, which were the ones that I trust more. It is still minus one at both of those places. I apologize for the confusion. So I grabbed the best number that I could, the points bet plus 1.5. It is still there at minus 110 as I'm talking right now. I could pull up that tab. Um, and I played it for 1.5 units. Now, clearly, there's discrepancy in the market and the ability that this might go, especially with the Warriors injuries and the Warriors slumping and the Pelicans playing really good basketball right now there's a chance that it would go and get a few points of movement. So when you're seeing those things, like if I normally saw a two-digit discrepancy between 1.5 and 1, that's like technically two and a half digits of discrepancy in the market. If I were normally to see that, I would absolutely hammer the line. It would be another 10-unit lay. It would be take out Thor's hammer and whack it like whack-a-mole. But then if you're contextualizing it to, it's two and a half digits of movement, but in the basketball gambling world, it's not. It's one and a half. And it's not valuable numbers. And I'm backing the road team in the Chase Center, where the Warriors are, have historically been a really good home team. So all these things line up where I don't think this line's going to go-go. I really do like it because I really like the way the Pelicans are playing. I really like well, the way this is priced at multiple books. So I still played it for 1.5 units. It is my biggest bet of the night. But this is not a spot, despite the indicators coming in, that I expect to go and play back because the number is not as valuable as that OKC minus 3.5, minus 4.5, which are relative to four, five, six, seven, those numbers happen a lot more frequently than a one or a zero, which is physically impossible. So for those reasons, I bet it for 1.5 units. 
I also did not bet the let's hold on. Let me pull up this points bet screen. I also did not bet the money line because look at this. Share this tab. Okay, I'm sharing the Pelicans Warriors on points bet tab right now on the Fantasy Basketball International YouTube part of the show. And you can see the money line is minus 105, whereas the plus 1.5 on the spread is minus 110. So not even the money line presented value. Like, obviously, I'm going to take the plus 1.5 and pay five extra cents to get that outcome. But the the 1.5 isn't very valuable. The money line had no value. The situational spot didn't scream a lot of playback value. So for all those reasons, I really like the spot, but I kept it at uh, a 1.5 unit bet. I think that is it. Let's go back to FanDuel. Okay, let's quickly talk about a few of the other games. Um, Jazz Nuggets. Jazz are just playing fantastic ball right now. So... I think the Nuggets would be the side that anyone wants in this game. Utah is a tough place to travel into, but Denver plays in the altitude already. So an altitude team traveling to altitude might be a net neutral effect. Um, Jazz are playing good ball, so I don't know if you want to fade the Jazz right now. I also definitely don't know if you want to fade Denver. They're playing great. I have no bets there. Toronto Rappers at the Clippers. There's nine and a halfs on the board if you want the Clippers. There's ten and a halfs on the board if you want the Raptors. So find the best number. I want neither. Raptors are playing great. Clippers are playing amazing. Uh, Raptors are on the second leg of a back-to-back after just taking on the Lakers tonight. And they had a crazy ending where they got absolutely no foul calls in the fourth. And they lost by one. Uh, and their coach, Darko Rajankovic, was going absolutely crazy in the post-game presser. Go watch that clip. It was kind of funny. But anyways, Raptors are a very youthful team and playing uh, well with the new pieces. It is tomorrow night, the night that's finally like, okay, they get smacked back down to earth a bit by a Clippers team that's full of savvy vets who are also playing amazing together. Maybe I don't want any part in it. At least even though it's a back-to-back, it's going to be a no-travel back-to-back for a young team on a Tuesday to Wednesday night. Like, I don't think the boys are going out in L.A. They probably might be going out in L.A. tonight. Okay. That is our slate breakdown portion of the podcast. So I'm going to stop sharing the screen. Make my beautiful face big screen again. And I want to talk about NBA awards races and NBA futures bets. And I want to talk about how this is generally a good time of the year to start consider re-entering NBA futures markets and awards bets because we're at the point where less football attention, more basketball attention, almost reaching the point of all-star break, and we're getting narratives start to really form. So it's less so driven towards an MVP race, which people always want to talk about, But if you start to look to like defensive player of the year or clutch player of the year or six man of the year, some of these smaller kind of satellite awards, this becomes a time of the year where we want to lock into a few guys in almost a a media and story sense and then start revisiting those stories over the next few months and then give it to said winner. Whereas MVP, we're constantly churning and talking about so many different options and putting it under the spotlight and looking at all the splits and the stats and maybe there's a late surge and so many things can change. Like, we might get to a point where we might already be at the point where the clutch player of the year is either SGA or Dame. Because in the odds right now, it's SGA, Dame, and then LeBron is a distant third. And Steph is, with LeBron, a distant third, fourth, depending on the book. 
And the Lakers and the Warriors right now don't look like they deserve any clutch awards. So you can pair both Dame and SGA, play both of them. They're both plus 300 at certain places. And you can lock in a really nice return regardless of winner and set yourself up to just, okay, let's let's play both of them. To me, it's like I kind of only want to play SGA right now. And I'll I'll wait on the Dame thing because the Bucks are struggling. So maybe you get a better Dame number, or maybe SGA just takes and runs with this because it seems like MVP is going to go to uh, Jokic or a Embiid yet again, and they deserve it. Uh, and so if SGA is not going to get in the MVP conversation, it's almost like the de facto we have to give him an award. We have to give Christian McCaffrey an award so he gets offensive player in the of the year, even though no one knows what that means. Okay, SGA has to get an award. The Thunder season was so special. He is absolutely amazing. He gets clutch player of the year, even though nobody knows what that means. And yes, we have stats to determine what clutch is as defined in the NBA, like a five-point game within five points in five minutes or less in the game. We have no idea what clutch player of the of the year means. I remember seeing that award come up. We're going to have the, the clutch player of the year. I'm, are you kidding me? Then I got over it quickly. And now I'm betting it with SGA. So I do think SGA is worth getting uh, plus 300 down on. You can get that at Bet Rivers or DraftKings. I do think now is a good time to jump into these awards races. Uh, if you think Gobert is running away with Defensive Player of the Year, find the best thing. I think you get it minus 150 somewhere. It's steep to pay, but if he stays healthy, it's his. If SGA keeps this up and he stays healthy, it's his for clutch. Now let's get a little nerdy and talk about six-man of the year. Do you know who the lead candidates are right now for six man of the year? They are. I'll give you the top four. Tim Hardaway Jr., number one. Atlanta Hawks, Bogdanovich, Bog Bog, number two. My God, Bog Bog is my guy. He often gets bunched in the Grayson Allen type of player don't at me he could be the number three on a title winning team he's more of the kuzma type of player everyone was just freaked out at me saying bog bog could be three on a title winning team and then i compared him to kuzma and everyone's like oh yeah that's a a fair comparison and kuzma was the third on a title winning team fellas so bog bog comes in number two austin reeves and malik monk come in at three and four switching positions based on the book Now, I saw this and thought, who else do I like on this list? You know, who else do, and I'll pull it up at FanDuel right now. Who else am I considering for six man of the year? Are these three candidates clear-cut candidates? And we saw coming in with fifth, sixth, seventh in the award, and so on, all at 10 to 1 or beyond. Guys like Cole Anthony was up next. Benedict Matherin. Bobby Portis. Nas Reed. Norm Powell. And I said, I I fear no one in that group. Nobody. In fact, so much so, this shapes up as that award that we might start developing a little story between THJ and Bog Bog and Monk and Reeves and having a four-man race the rest of the year. They all totally fit the award. Scoring guard off the bench. 
medium winning team. The winning team doesn't generally matter too much, but you hope that they're like a kind of a playoff team and there's some big moment games for them too. Now, Tim Hardaway completely fits that. Bog Bog has the best statistical profile for a six-man of the year candidate, but the Hawks are struggling a bit, and there's trade rumors surrounding both DeJounte Murray in front of him, which if he goes, depending on the return, does Bog Bog become a starter? Is Bog Bog in the package? Does Bog Bog get traded and become a starter somewhere else? There's rumors with the Mavericks, with THJ, I don't think THJ is going to get moved, but his contract sets it up where he might. Malik Monk is very locked into his role. I think that one's pretty secure. And Austin Reeves doesn't seem like they're in trade. He's being included in the hefty amount of Lakers trade rumors that you're going to get every January as long as LeBron James is on the team or as long as they play in Los Angeles. But they might bring in, they they do seem like they're going to bring in somebody. So when they bring in somebody, Reeves' usage is only going to go down again. And he's having relatively a down year, down usage after what he did last year in the postseason. And then on Team USA in the FIBA. The FIBA. That's exactly what it's called. In the FIBA. So I don't really care for Reeves. I'm more focused on Tim Hardaway Jr., Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Malik Monk. And so I said, okay, let me create a three-man portfolio out of these guys. And now let's get a little nerdy about how I did it, what I did, and what I'm thinking about in my brain to know if this is a smart mathematical situation and what I'm paying for by stacking different odds profiles together, how to know how to ratio them up and go about the whole process. First thing first is identify your candidates. We did that. Bog Bog, THJ, Malik Monk. Do they fit the criteria for the award? Yes. Have we reached the time of the season where that narrative might form? Yes. Do we have candidates on the outside looking in that scare us? No. So we have a good grouping on the award where we feel like we could corner this award with three of them. Now we go line shopping. Where are the best lines for all of these players? Now I'm going to do it again, even though I've submitted my wagers and I'll tell you where my odds are, but let's find the best ones and make sure they're all still there. Okay, good, because the DraftKings on Tim Hardaway moved, but at Caesars, it's still there, and I did it at Caesars. For Tim Hardaway Jr., you can get plus 350 at Caesars. Go do that. For Bog Bog, you can get plus 475 at DraftKings. Go do that. And for Malik Monk, you were able to get plus 700 at BetMGM a few days ago, and now it's plus 500. However, I am seeing it at Caesars at plus 1,200. So definitely go check because you might be able to get better. You might be able to get slightly worse. For the sake of this discussion, you will still be able to do it with plus 500. If that's what it is, you could still go through the exact same process that I'm going to do to determine how much you expose it. Or if you do get plus 1200, you could still definitely do it with that at an even better odds. So go check out where you have that. So you line shop, you identified your candidates, and then you've identified the places where the lines are best and you have the numbers. Now, What we're going to do with these numbers, the numbers being the plus 350 for THJ, plus 475 for Bog Bog, and plus 700 for Malik Monk. What we are going to do with those numbers is put them into an arbitrage formula. Now, 
Got I talked about our arbitrages a few weeks ago on the podcast and in the Substack. It was a Cavaliers Hawks game where I saw supreme differential between two books and I played them against each other on a money line basis and locked in a four percent uh, 9% ROI arbitrage. And I was talking about arbitrage and someone reached out to me. It's like, Mike, what do you mean when you're saying this arbitrage situation? Can you explain it a little bit? Dale, I hope you're listening to this because this is for you, buddy. You guys think it's handsome Dale from the bachelor handsome Dale. Thank you for listening. Good looking dude, Dale. All right. So arbitraging in sports betting is when you're able to play something with a fixed outcome, like who is going to win said game between the Hawks and the Cavaliers, either the Hawks or the Cavaliers, right? And there's no ties in basketball. As long as that game is being played, one of those teams is going to win. It is a fixed outcome situation. Now, if we can find lines that we have plus money on both sides or a plus number that is higher than our minus number. So we have minus 120. Do we have plus 121 or more? If we have minus 110, do we have plus 111 or more? Because then we could play both of those lines as long as they are fixed outcome where one of them is guaranteed to win and we could set ourselves up in the way that we tilt the exposures into these lines so that no matter what happens, you are profitable. And sometimes you see these spots like that Cavaliers-Hawks game. I saw like a plus 180 somewhere and a minus 120 somewhere else. So I just literally unloaded into both of those lines as much as I possibly could because I knew it was a fixed outcome that was happening the next day and one of those was going to win. I would just have to transfer some money from one account to the others right? It was a guaranteed win. That's what an arbitrage is. But using an arbitrage calculator, right? Because cornering a market with playing into these futures positions and grabbing Bog Bog, THJ, and Malik Monk, let me be clear, guys. We are using an arbitrage calculator. This is not an arbitrage. This is not a fixed outcome situation where one of these three candidates is surefire going to win. Cole Anthony could win this award. Cam Thomas could win this award. Benedict Matherin could win this award. Karis LeVert could win this award. Right? But why do we use an arbitrage calculator? Because. The arbitrage calculator, if you use these odds as inputs into them, into the model or the formula, will spit out a result of how you tilt your exposure so that you are locking in profit equivalently, equally, through all three lines. And so when I plug it into an arbitrage formula, now I could go over the arbitrage formula, but nobody wants me to do that while listening on a podcast or watching a video of me. Go look it up online. Better yet, just Google an arbitrage calculator. I have the formula myself. I use an arbitrage calculator instead because I don't want to be putting in, it's like multiple fraction ratios when you're multiplying them together. It's like, why even bother? doing that to find the right results when you could just go to a calculator online and it makes it really easy where you just have to type in the odds you're getting and and what your total risk you're willing to do is right and then it'll spit out okay this should be how you divvy them up so i put these three into an arbitrage calculator plus 475 plus 350 plus 700 what was my risk i put three units let's assume we let's assume we're going to be roughly one unit on each. How would should I divvy this up? And the calculator told me, said, Mike, you play one unit on Bog Bogs plus 475. You play 1.27 units on Tim Hardaway Jr.'s plus 350. And you play 0.72 units on Malik Monk's plus 700. And the net result 
of any three of those winning in an arbitrage situation would give you a 91.88% return on investment. Now, that means between having three units of exposure, I am going to bring back This is very, I really don't want to make it overly complicated for a podcast. If you have a 91% return on investment and three units of exposure, you are going to have 91% for each risk position regardless. So it is going to be cumulative amongst the three of them. So you're going to have roughly a 27 five unit return, right? So you will have risked your three. You will return your three plus 2.75. That will be a 91.8% uh, return on, on investment. So now we can use those risk versus reward with the ROI, getting this 91.88 and using an arbitrage calculator not only allowed us to correctly weight the ratios between the lines that we're playing, it also allows us to have a total risk between the three positions and a max reward, which is regardless of which of those positions, what is going to be your reward? And in this case, they're all the same because we've arbitraged them to be equal. So we have our reward and our risk. And then we could use the risk-reward ratio to determine implied odds. If you have a 91.88% return on your bet, you have a 1 over 91.88 as a fraction, and you set that equivalent to 1 over X. And your X becomes your odds that you are paying. And in this case, you would be paying minus 109. And then you use that 109. Guys, we're getting really nerdy. You use that 109 in an implied probability formula, which is 109 over 109 would be the X. So it's X over X plus 100. So it's 109 over 209. And you get 52.15. 52.15 is the implied probability you are paying for the group of three tickets in a stacked futures portfolio. So what the fuck did I just say? What I'm saying is the combination of Bog Bog, Timmy Hardaway Jr., and Malik Monk. The combination of the three of them, in my opinion, is higher than a 52% chance to win the award. Because I understand we are at that point in the season where they all perfectly fit the criteria. We have very weak candidates on the other side of them. We have about 50% of the season almost done with, and we are narrative building and stacking a portfolio. In my opinion, we are north of 60 to 65% that it is one of these three players. I'd even go higher, but I'm going to conservatively not. Now, we also have to consider that even though you have a nice positive expected value on this bet, depending on what you think it is, depending on what you think the probability is minus the implied odds that you're paying. So if you think this is a 65% chance of hitting and you're paying 52% chance, your expected value is 13%. The difference. So many formulas on this fucking episode. I am sorry. I hope I make it fun. It's fun for me. I don't know why. Okay. 
because even though you might determine that you have a 13 a positive 13% expected value wager and that is staggeringly high for a bet position you still need to consider that it's January and that this is not paying out until what June when do they announce the awards late June after the finals right or they started doing it during the playoffs last season and they Embiid was like found out he was the MVP while they were like in Boston at the shoot around at a team they were doing a walkthrough in a team hotel that was weird they stopped doing the NBA ceremony after the title regardless I don't know the payout date on these but it should be about six months from now so even though you have a 13 percent ROI and normally if you had a not 13 percent ROI not 13 13 percent positive expected value wager you could still have you could still have a negative ROI here because if it the expected value doesn't pan out. This is a results-oriented business, even though it's a numbers game. Still need to actually have these outcomes happen. Um, you don't want to go slamming these lines with tons of exposure and and locking up too much of your money into pending wagers, even if a futures portfolio does look like it will give you a nice return. Now. I don't. I only go into futures markets when I think I'm going to get nice return. So I'm pretty selective in my bets. And you should see my NBA futures market right now. It's my portfolio is hotter than fish grease. So uh, you hope that your returns are higher in the futures market in terms of return per wager than in straight bets because in straight bets you can roll over your bankroll so much quicker. Whereas if you're playing futures, that money's going to be tied up and pending, and then you're going to get a payout much later. So if you are going to get a winning payout, great. But could we have used all of that money and rolled it over quicker and, and made more? So like, if I look at my NFL futures portfolio, like today I realized that I actually won instead of lost on a Derek Carr season-long touchdown prop because I thought I lost it because I wrote 25.5 in my tracker but it was actually 21.5 and I tweeted out and typed in the sub stack and everything 21.5. I literally, the only place I wrote it wrong was in my like Excel tracker. And I go into my bankrolls, my, my accounts on the different sites. And I realized one was higher than I thought it would be. And I was going through the graded wagers and I realized the Derek Carr was a win. And I was like, wait, what? And I saw it was 21.5. So that was really nice. Um, I forget where I was going with this, but that, oh yeah, it was seven. It was three quarters of a unit. a 0.75 unit that I switched from loss to win in my tracker. But if I'm looking at it now, because it's, I've turned over my bankroll a bunch in the last few months since NFL season started. And I placed that wager in the off season. That three quarters of a unit, even though it goes in my tracker as three quarters of a unit, is it's not what my current three quarters of a unit is because I've been winning and scaling up. So it, the tracker versus actual bankroll doesn't matter too much as long as you're tracking it consistently. So you have an awareness of how you're doing and you could self-reflect and self-evaluate. But in terms of determining your unit size, as long as you appropriately find the right times to recalculate, okay, let me find what my 1.2% of my account is to reestablish my unit price right now. Okay. I've been winning a lot. So let me reestablish my unit price. As long as you're doing that check with yourself occasionally, it doesn't need to be by the book when you reach this X unit. Like it's, it's negligible difference. I understand from a content perspective, now that I give out picks, uh, I like to have my records really clean because I don't want to seem like one of the touts or one of this or like all this stuff. Like the whole reason I got in, in this is because I hated what I saw. So I definitely don't want to become one of those. So I'm very uh, detail pro process oriented and detailed in the way that I track things. But if I wasn't doing so much outward content, it would be negligible differences. Um, but the point, the bigger point is that you want, if you're going into a futures market, you really want to, uh, 
turn you want a higher return per wager because you're tying up your money for a longer period of time and you're not turning over that bankroll faster. Okay, that is going to do it for today. We reviewed the entire Wednesday NBA slate. We talked about getting money down on SGA plus 300 uh, for clutch player of the year. I would also consider Gobert. We could talk about that one next week. We'll, we'll check in back on the odds then. I didn't do anything myself on that one. And we talked about six man of the year stacking a portfolio using an arbitrage calculator to spit out the results of weighted odds using risk versus reward to calculate an odds ratio using an odds ratio to calculate an implied probability and then using that implied probability to help determine the expected value of our wager and if it's positive or negative and how we feel about it and then using that to know how much we should bet into that market really nerdy stuff but hopefully fun i had fun appreciate everyone for tuning in uh Make sure you check out all of the other shows. Maybe I'll do, I'm going to do some NFL stuff this week. I promise. Thank you as always. Peace out. I'm gonna t- you just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. And for more information about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com. <laughs>